Welcome to the Borgen Podcast, the only English language show about fictional Danish politics. On our show, we explore the people, events, and parties that make up the fictional Danish parliament on Borgen. I'm one of your hosts, Amy, coming at you from Istanbul, Turkey. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Chantal, who broadcasts from her room with a fabulous view in Toronto, Canada. Now, we're going to be talking about season two, episodes one and two today. And I just wanted to acknowledge that the first episode in season two takes place, it opens actually, and takes place partially in Afghanistan with uh, Brigitte Nyborg visiting Danish troops there. And uh, of course, I want to acknowledge that since this season of Borgen aired originally, Uh, obviously, things have changed radically in Afghanistan, and the situation there has become rather dire, um, as it has in Ukraine and in other places as well. Um, in living in Turkey, I'm very aware of the geopolitical location of all of these countries and of the enormous number of refugees who are fleeing for their lives, actually, most of the time. And I just wanted to acknowledge Uh, everybody who has friends or family that's touched by any of these conflicts, whether you are helping people out or whether you uh, know people who are in the forces on any side, or if you know anyone who <clears throat> is involved in any way, we just wanted to acknowledge that uh, we understand that it's a really difficult time for a lot of people. And so if you don't want to hear us talk about this, Necessarily, this might be an episode for you to skip um, if you have real sensitivities about warfare and stuff, because um, it is a little bit sensitive. So we just wanted to acknowledge that. We just wanted to make sure that everybody understood that we're aware of the situation, although neither one of us is a political reporter or a political scientist by any means. It's important to uh, recognize that people's lives can change very, very quickly, very, very suddenly and very, very dramatically at the moment's notice. And uh, we just wanted to acknowledge that that's what's happening in the world right now before we start talking about episode one, season two. And uh, this episode is being delivered to you by Chantal. So I'm going to throw it over to her now. And so Chantal, welcome to it. Welcome to it. Thank you, Amy. So I'm going to be talking about, uh, we're now in season two and we're talking about episode one of Borgen. Season two opens up 11 months after where we left off in the season finale of season one. The first scene is Brigitte in Afghanistan. Casper and Katrine are also there. They are in a war zone with the Taliban present around them. Katrine is now working for Express, which is Michael Lagason's newspaper. A young soldier who looks just over 20 years old asks for a photo with Brigitte because he's going to miss her speech. She's very friendly and charismatic meeting all of the soldiers and the young soldier makes a comment about, quote, babes being a real sight in these parts. And I thought it was really funny and cute and it made Brigitte grin and she takes photos with him. Yeah, I thought that was really like sweet, right? And she didn't, she just thought it was cute. So she, she did it and it made him really happy. Um, yeah. Brigitte gives a speech to all of the soldiers about promoting peace and democracy in Afghanistan and that she reckons that they will have to withdraw their troops soon and the mission will end. She thanks them in a genuine and sincere way. One of the head soldiers comes to tell her that he's lost four of his soldiers. And the word comes in that moment 
that a group of their soldiers is under heavy fire and there is hostile activity out there around them. They are told that the PM and the defense minister, which is Hans Christensen, will be flown out now back to Copenhagen. Katrina's in the thick of it and wants to stay for her cameraman to shoot the photos and cover the situation, despite Casper coming up to her and telling her that they should leave now and that there's room for them on their plane. But Katrine opts to stay in Afghanistan. The Secretary of State is on the phone with them and says they're on a plane right back to Copenhagen. The Americans want them to postpone the withdrawal. Brigitte says the aim is to withdraw the troops and put the Afghans in charge. The Americans, by saying this, don't think that the Afghans are ready for the responsibility. Christensen learns that five of their Danish soldiers have died today. Brigitte says that they need to get all of the soldiers out and home now. Casper advises Brigitte to call a press conference as soon as possible when they get back to Copenhagen. Arriving in Copenhagen, Brigitte returns to her house very late at night. She sees a welcome home sign that one of her kids has made for her. And she's so tired that she just falls asleep in her son's room without even getting changed. The next morning, Philip comes over to the house with Magnus, who has spent the night with Philip. Philip makes a comment about the trip and Brigitte says it was a terrible trip. Philip rapidly changes the subject and he asks her if she signed the papers. She asks what papers and he replies the divorce papers, you need to fill them out. She says that she can't remember where she put them and she apologizes and asks him if he wants a coffee. He says, no, those papers, I just want those papers. And he points out that he's moved out 10 months ago and wants her to buy him out of the house so that he can move on. She tells him to have a fresh set of papers sent over to her and she will sign them. Now over to TV One, Ulrich is interviewing Torben on camera and Torben says that this is probably Brigitte's most difficult situation as the PM up until now. He says that as PM, she has to support the war effort even though she's opposed to it. Brigitte meets with the defense minister and the minister for Europe, which is Jacob Cruz. The US is asking Denmark to stay in Afghanistan. Brigitte wants to know what the defense chief thinks. Christensen says the military does as they're told, but they don't want to withdraw from an enemy they think that they can beat. Brigitte and the ministers agree on the language that, quote, we still want the withdrawal, but we're following the situation closely. Casper tells Brigitte to change her shirt and wear something black and buttoned up before going out to speak to the press. We meet Casper's girlfriend in this uh, episode. Her name is Latte, and she's very sweet and attentive. She prepared a nice welcome home lunch for him. They talk about moving in together. Casper tells her he's got two suitcases and a crate, and that's it. She asks him if they're jumping the gun by doing this, and he says no. His response is, you are the most beautiful woman in the world, which to me was a immature response. And later on in the episode, as we're making a toast, as they are making a toast with wine, he accidentally calls her Katrine. Of course he does. At, <laughs> at Brigitte's house, Brigitte is home and the babysitter is leaving. On the TV, Hesselbo is on the news and he puts Brigitte down. He says, the PM is in favor of withdrawing the troops, but the Afghans are not ready to take control of the country. In two years, Afghans can, get, can take over the Helmand province. When I was PM, we proposed to send down leopard tanks. Nyborg rejected that proposal, and now five Danish soldiers are dead. 
Hesabo is trying to pin this on Brigitte. Brigitte's daughter, Laura, comes home and says that she went skating, but her skates are at the house untouched, which means that Laura was not telling the truth about her whereabouts. She tells Brigitte that she wants a home-cooked dinner, and Brigitte says she didn't have time today, but how about tomorrow? Katrina and her cameraman are now back from Afghanistan and back to work at Express, and she tells Lagasin that she wants to contact the family of one of the fallen soldiers. It is, accident it is actually the soldier that, in the beginning of the episode, was asking Brigitte to take a photo with him. Lagasin gives Katrine a suggestion for the title and says, quote, Brigitte Nyborg hesitates, soldiers die. He's going to write in his editorial that Brigitte doesn't have the balls for war and that he wants Katrine's article to back him up. This to me shows that Lagasin is very immature and he still has a knife in the back uh, of Brigitte. Katrine goes on to see the son's father. This is the son of, this is the uh, soldier. She goes to see his father who is a car salesman and she shows up at his work and he's, he has not even read the letter yet because he's hurt and he's in denial of what the son went that the son went there against his wishes and now the son is dead. Later, Katrina and Han talk about the article and Han tells her that she cannot publish the story without featuring the letter in the article. Casper tells Katrine that Lagasin, Lagasin wheels the pen and tells her what to write, even if the angle is wrong and it puts a bad spin on Brigitte. Late, in the later scene with Lagasin and Han, Katrine tells them that she can't write something she does not believe in. She wants to write a profile on, on the 23-year-old soldiers that died and focus on the goodbye letter that he wrote to his father. She, she has to get the soldier's dad's permission in order to print the story. She goes back to see the soldier's father at his workplace and impresses upon him that he should read the letter to better understand his son and try to get some closure. Brigitte takes a call from the American Secretary of State's representative, and he tells her that he talked to the Minister of Defense, which is Christensen, and he tells her that Brigitte was trying to find a, a roundabout way of, of the withdrawal of the Danish forces. Casper tells her three more soldiers have died for a total of eight in two days. Brigitte meets with the head of an, N an Afghan NGO and the representative, a woman, tells Brigitte that she understands why the Danish government wishes to withdraw, but that the Danish president presence in Afghanistan, Afghanistan is crucial. She asks to see Brigitte's wallet and takes out the credit cards and says, these all represent freedom and democracy. And she, as a woman, was not allowed to have a driver's license because she was a woman, but now that she can. Now she can. She says that you can't change the Afghan way of life overnight, but things are changing and hope exists. It is the result of Denmark being there. Bent tells Brigitte that he heard she changed her stance in Afghanistan and that the moderates don't believe in participating in armed conflicts. And she tells him that it's a beautiful principle, but it's outdated. She points to him that she inherited this war from Hasselbo, but it toppled the Taliban. And Bent tells her that the topple should be through democratic means. Brigitte tells him, how do you topple a dictatorship through democratic means? She says she wants out of there, but she can't, but they can't withdraw until the situation is stable. It's dangerous and it's risky to pull out during an attack. Katrine stands up to Lagasin. She tells him that she doesn't have a story that's and that's it's absurd to write a headline that blames Brigitte and puts the pressure on her and tells her that 
he tells her that he pays her 60K Danish kroner a month, which Amy, I did the calculation that actually works out to be about $11,000 Canadian a month, which is a hundred. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. $132,000 a year salary in Canadian dollars. Sweet. I want to go be a, da- I want to go be a Danish tabloid reporter. I got those <laughs> skills. I'm telling you. Later back at Brigitte's house, Philip comes over and is pleasant with her. She was taking a nap on the couch. She offers him dinner and he says he's just there for the papers. I think that she's got so much pressure going on with work and wants to believe. And she just wants to have some simple platonic companionship to unwind and feel normal for a little bit. She tells him she does not want to divorce him and she starts crying. And that, quote, I can't take it anymore. I'm at war in the office and I'm at war at home. I want you to be my husband. I don't want a divorce. And as she's saying that, we see Laura come down the stairs and she was sitting there listening. So she's heard Brigitte's words to Philip. Philip holds Brigitte in his arms and says, sometimes we have to do things even when we don't want to, okay? The parents of the soldiers show up to the parliament and Casper thinks that she should not meet with any of them as they blame Brigitte for the loss of their children about and the press is outside. Hesselbo tells the press not to expect Brigitte to show up, but Brigitte shows up despite Casper's advice to meet the press and family members of the soldier. The car, the soldiers, the car salesman is there. This is the father of the young soldier who took the photo with Brigitte, who um, Katrina is trying to write the story about. Brigitte has a private meeting with the soldier's father behind closed doors. He reads the letter his son wrote to Brigitte. These were the letters that they were all asked, all these soldiers were asked to write in the event that they didn't make it home. The letter says that 89,000 Afghan children survived and that schools and hospitals are being built. The letter goes on to say that this makes sense to be there for him to help with this. And in the end, the father gives the letter to Katrine and tells her to write the story and that maybe there's some sense to all of this. Brigitte, Brigitte re- requests to see the defense chief. She is the, she is, saw him last in person when they were down in Afghanistan together at the beginning of this episode. And he arrives at parliament 30 minutes just after coming back to Copenhagen. She tells him that the cabinet is set to vote in favor of the withdrawal. She asks the colonel what he thinks about the situation his, and what his personal opinion is. He says that there is only one way, which is a joint international coordinated effort, and that their allies must neutralize the current wave of attacks. He says, quote, we must stay in Afghanistan until we've trained the army and the police, which will take five to six years, and we will require more soldiers, equipment, and money. She seems to take the suggestion and asks him to write it up in a memo, which I thought was very smart of her, to go to the source and follow a real expert, which is this colonel. It was To me, it's the mark of a great leader to admit when she needs guidance from an expert on a topic that she is not familiar about as much as he is. And she's, it shows to me that she's clearly not driven by ego. The episode ends with Katrine handing her completed article to Lagesson and Han of the young soldier's letter. Ulrich reported in the news that the government has increased their efforts in Afghanistan. Amir, one of British, one of Brigitte's ministers, saying it was saying to the press that, quote, we are against the war, but we don't want to jeopardize the government. In the final scene, Brigitte is with Philip and Philip is over and she is signing the divorce papers. 
Yeah. So I just wanted to note Amir's not one of Brigitte's ministers. He's uh, the leader of the Greens. He's a okay, Green sorry. member. So yeah, he's definitely an opposition party, but they often collaborate, the moderates and the Greens on the left. All right. Sorry about that, everybody. No, no problem. <laughs> no problem. No problem. <laughs> so that's that's my uh, summary of uh, episode one, season two. Amy, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I think. I mean, of course, like I said in the opening, like since since this episode took place, like a lot has changed in Afghanistan, and I believe uh, that things have gotten worse there recently, in particular. And so, like, it's so easy, like. That's the one thing about fictional fictional representations of warfare. It's like, it's so simplified in some ways. Like we see a very positive, like, isn't this how things should be kind of thing? Uh, presentation of, of like the way leaders inter interact with the military leaders and stuff. And I have a feeling, of course, in real life, there are many, 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 many more layers. Um, and it's much, much more complicated than it could ever be presented in a TV show. Mm -hmm. But as far as the show itself goes, I thought it was, I thought it, it shows, you know, Brigitte in terms of like her party being, you know, aware, like she's aware that, you know, you can't have it both ways, right? Like, indeed, you can't always get what you want. Yeah. Um, and you have to do things you don't want to do. Um, but to actually take into account, like, it's interesting. I thought it was interesting, like the number of times she spoke to the the chiefs of defense and the military leaders and they say things like well we're just waiting for your decision like mm -hmm. we, we follow orders like we're soldiers we follow orders what's mm -hmm. the order you're the chief and for her to actually like bend the rule and say like no i need to know i think that's really actually clever i don't know if that happens in real life politics um but if i was a, in a leadership position i would definitely ask military advisors like what's the actual situation yeah it's totally not everybody's field like i don't know what I don't know what's required there or anywhere. Right. right. So to ask somebody what they actually need, I mean, that's a smart way to do things. And then um, to deliver that message that way, I think is really good, actually. And I think it was the decision, the difficult decision um, to stay there and not bring your troops home because obviously nobody wants their I mean, you have an army, but like nobody wants to go send people off to get killed yeah. anywhere. Um, but unfortunately, as we've seen, as we are seeing, it's not a choice a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the story in the show, I thought it was very, very well done. And like the, the compromise is such a thin line and it kind of ends up working. And they kind of, they were, I think, made a good decision to stay. And like the thing about training the army and the police forces is, you know, it could sound kind of colonial and like patriarchal in some ways, or like, you know yeah. what I mean by patriarchal, like not in the terms of like feminism patriarchy, but in terms of like an overriding father figure. Right. There must be another name for it. That's like, it's kind of colonialism. What's the word I'm thinking of patronizing maybe, but like this kind of like, let us help you. But yeah, I, I think that actually is part of the mission of people being in Afghanistan. I don't know for sure. I should have done a little research on that, I guess. But I think it's important um, to note that that's what, you know, was being said. And also that when Bent said, I prefer to solve the problem through diplomatic means or democratic means, there is no way to solve those issues with democracy. It's mm -hmm. not going to work in places yeah. like that. 
because the rules aren't the same. Nobody's playing by rules in, in, you know, when there's, when there's terrorist blocks that are fueled by religious fanaticism, uh, you're not going to get democracy. That's that they're not interested in, in democratic means. So you have to use other means. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that they said, you know, in five days, eight, eight soldiers were killed and that, like what a high number that was. And I was like, really? That's re- really, is that really a high number? And I'm thinking of like, you know, what's happening in, in other places right now and thinking that that's, that's, that's not a high number. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was very interesting. And I liked the storyline with the father of the young soldier. And of course, of course, it's the soldier that gets shown with the picture of Brigitte in the beginning. Yeah. There's a story structure, there's a fictional structure yeah. that you have to have that, right? Right. I mean, this it's the smoking gun principle. If you have a gun in the story, it's got to go off, right? <laughs> so you've got to, you've got to have, you know, that soldier has to be brought back into the story somehow. And I just thought it was really sad and tragic. And I bet a lot of people who, I mean, Denmark doesn't have like Turkey has forced military, well, not forced, but, you know, kind of required military service. Okay. Unless you're, unless you can afford to buy your way out of it, which you can, almost every young man here is expected to serve time in the military. Right. And if you're a university student or you're planning to go to university, your time is shorter than if you're not. And there's different rules and stuff. And it's changed in recent years to become a bit of a a lighter term. But uh, I certainly know people who've seen some conflict here during their military service and it's random where you get sent and you know in in like northwestern europe that's it's not a thing you don't have to serve in in the military mm-hmm. so to volunteer to go do something like that in a in a place where you know that's secure or like canada that's secure yeah. and like where people don't have to do that as a requirement um you know, we don't, it's hard to conceive of why somebody would want to join the army. Um, yeah. But people do out of a sense of service and duty and like yeah. wanting to, to help in this like different way. And also, you know, there are all kinds of, you can get all kinds of training in the military that yeah. you might not be able to do outside. You know, I mean, we, we both know somebody who's got in, in the Canadian military, who's got yeah. an excellent position. Yeah. Um, we have a friend there and a mutual friend there. And then my cousins also served in the Canadian military in yeah. Afghanistan, actually. So yeah, it's, it wasn't, it was not a pretty time uh, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought they handled the storyline very well. And, and um, it's a little PC, I think a little gentle, but I think for a TV show about like, come on. I think the point comes across. Hitting. I mean, even yeah. though the numbers were low, relatively speaking, um, the point came across very loud and clear to me that this is a tragic situation. And when someone said uh, in the sh- in the show in the beginning of the episode, this is her hardest um, yeah. decision and hardest situation she's had to. So it was interesting to see how she navigates that through. And a lot of it is is so much that she cannot control. Being yeah. in a in a place with war and conflict, she cannot just flip a switch and control it. There are a lot no, of no. things that are out of her hand, and the only thing that she can do is remain informed and try and make great decisions based on the opinions and judgment of people who are um, far more experts than she is. Right? Yeah, and exactly. to show sympathy and compassion. I mean, the the the, the fact that she 
met with the soldier's father behind closed doors and he read the letter out in front of her um, to me showed that she had a lot of kindness and compassion to take time out of her day to listen to that and that she wants to feel connected and understand the situation from many people's points of view not just from a pm point of view but listen to what a parent of a soldier fallen soldier has to say and react and what did this soldier have to say too right exactly and the soldier's point of view is also important um and definitely gains were made for a while, yeah. you know, gains were made there. And, you know, and I mean, you know, and, and um, of course people, many, many people left Afghanistan before the war or in the early days of it to get away. I mean, like in Toronto, there's a large Afghan community, mm-hmm. a large expat or refugee community. Um, yeah. And, you know, I worked with some of those kids when I was teaching in the Toronto Justice School Board actually many years ago in my previous life. And, you know, people like people are people. If, if one thing like living abroad and like traveling and meeting people from all over the place teaches you, it's like people are people. Everybody has the same goals in life. Everybody yeah. wants to just do their thing and, you know, have their do, do a meaningful work and have a family and have yeah. people in their lives they care about. It's not different. And, you know, it's really important to like acknowledge that. And, and what the, the woman who represented the NGO said, even though I, I felt like that was very simplified as well, like, you know, it's a very convenient device in terms of storytelling. Um, but it's also true. Like th- those things are true. That's, that's the truth. You know, you yeah. see photos from the 1960s in Afghanistan and people were absolutely free. It looked like any European city. Kabul looked like any European city. And so, you know, People remember that's not that long ago. People no. have memories of that. And, and everybody deserves to have basic freedoms. Yeah, absolutely. So bringing it back to some of the characters now, I thought Philip, like she, to me, when she comes back home for the first time and she falls asleep, dead tired yeah. in Magnus's bed and she doesn't even change her clothes or anything. And she wakes up the next morning and Philip comes over. I, I just felt the weight that she was carrying, that she must've been carrying the emotional exhaust, exhaustion and you know, the wear and tear of the whole situation, both emotional and physical that she's going through from traveling and having to be there and stuff like that. And the next morning yes. she, he asks, how's it going? And she said it was terrible. And he just like changes the subject and says, oh yeah, don't forget to sign the divorce papers. Like I, I was disappointed in Philip for that. I thought he could have, you know, yeah yeah but is it his role to anymore you know he's I mean he he needs to move on with his life as well maybe he was just putting up a boundary but maybe maybe yeah it's also a little bit it's kind of selfish too at the same time I think I think it's selfish and what it came across to me is he's he's annoyed that she's not prioritizing him and why didn't she yes the divorce papers instead of remembering to like make decisions about yeah and yeah, and yeah yeah so i didn't i didn't like that at all um and then the the comment about casper when you know she we meet the girlfriend and she's putting together a nice dinner for him and um his response she asked him if we're jumping the gun by you know moving in together and he says no you're the most beautiful woman in the world and when i heard that i mean i watched this this episode i laughed before. actually uh, yeah <laughs> I, when i rewatched it i laughed out loud and i'm just like 
is that the response you want to hear? Amy, is that the response you'd want to hear from a man? That's not the response I'd want to hear. I don't want to be like, yeah, what's your point? That's yeah. not the answer to the question. What's, what's your point? What's your point? You know, it's, like, of course, I, I, A, of course, and B, <laughs> like, but you didn't answer the question. You know, you have you to press answer. him. He's a, and he's a spin doctor. You can't believe anything that comes out of that guy's mouth. Exactly. You know? But you know what it said to me was that he can understand the roles in the workplace and the nuances of political figures very well. He's going to be yeah, a spin doctor. He's his personal life is a joke. But when it comes to women and his personal matters, he's a mess. Yeah, an absolute mess. No, this is not what a woman wants to hear. I mean, I don't know. I thought she should have, the woman should have been like, oh, this is not the answer that I should be hearing right now. So, um, yeah. And what does she need him for anyway? Like her apartment is so nice. It's in these, like they show, like when they show her a building, like it's this, yeah, the exterior is like these beautiful modern white condos. And then the inside is like beautiful inside and like not huge, but like very modern and very, you know, it looks like an art gallery in there kind of. And it's like got a great kitchen and like she has this fabulous life. She's like a communications officer. Katrine knows who she is because she's got she, like Katrine's a fan of this woman's blog. Right. Okay. And she seems really pulled together and like really smart and really cool. So what she's doing, what is she doing with a bum like Casper? Like she could do so much better. <laughs> I know, but I guess, you know, a lot of people see the appeal in Casper and she wants to have a partner. So she thought, yeah, Why not? And yeah. And he's, he's a naughty boy, you know, and they obviously get along. Like some people like that. Not that I'm saying anything, um, <laughs> but like, you know, she, she, they obviously have great chemistry. They're all over each other, you know, and she's just trying to, make things happen with him and it, it it does seem kind of good it it sort of seems like casper's trying to fix himself but he's not quite there yet i think know? he's trying to fix himself too i think he's trying to get feel some normalcy maybe and balance his life that he has no yeah. life so you know maybe it'll be fun and interesting to to actually date somebody and move in with yeah. them maybe that will straighten him out a bit but yeah. um yeah i also uh, think it's I also think it's interesting that Katrine's at the express now. I thought that was a really cool storyline. Like she quits at the end of season one, she quits TV one in this fury of like integrity. And then she goes and works for this shitty tabloid. And I thought it was, or like a lesser, a less, you know, a semi tabloidish paper. Yeah. Like their, their headlines are a little more sensational and stuff. Well, And then she went to go work for Logason, which I don't know. Yeah. I, I I do see the point why she left because of course. You know, just to recap why she left, it was because of the uh, the portrait interview that she was tasked to do, which Casper yeah. had arranged for her, which was very kind of him. And then behind the scenes, they were going to doctor the interview and they were going to cut bits right. and edit it to create this slant that they wanted to create. When she got wind of that, she said, forget it. And she got very angry and she left. Um, yeah. And Casper, Casper was calling the editorial shots and that's not okay. Not a good idea. And no. I, I think a woman of Katrine's caliber, even though she's so young in her age, she's, she, she's got she journalistic can, she, clout. Yes. And she can bounce from a job to another job. She'll always land, right? Yeah. She's got something very desirable in her that people will pay attention to her and take her back yeah. and she can bounce jobs and, and be successful. She gains an awesome coworker because she's teamed up with Hannah Holm again. And exactly. I'm so excited about that because she's one of my favorite characters in the whole series. I know. I'm excited about it too. And I, I like that they're um they're working together, which 
could be our segue into episode two. Absolutely. Um, yeah. We, we see them. Let me just uh, pull up my notes there for episode two. So while this, you're doing that, yeah, I just want to say one thing. If I sound like my voice is not quite right, it's because my voice is not quite right. I have had the COVID this week. So I've been home. I think that's also why um, this episode one made me, it, it set me off in such a deep thinking pattern about current events because I've been home alone for yeah, like you've been eight off. days. Yeah, we had two snow days and then the weekend came and I started not feeling well on the weekend and I went and tested on last Sunday and tested positive for COVID and that required me to have a seven day quarantine. Today mm-hmm. is the last day of my quarantine. So I'll be expected to be back at work on Monday, but like I'm definitely was not feeling well. And I spent a lot of time like moping around. So if I sounded morose when I was talking about those things, it's because I've been in my head alone, isolated for a week. For the whole so week. So that's, yeah, for the whole week. Like I was talking to the cats. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of why, I mean, my, of course, my coworkers checked in and friends checked in and my neighbor brought me vitamin C and some decongestants and stuff. And it wasn't too bad, but like, yeah, I, I had, I had the COVID. So, you know, well, you're all better now because, uh, yeah, you and I were pretty much touch, you and I were in touch this week and I was concerned to hear you were sick, but I'm so happy to hear you're better and you're back. You're back. Yes. On the podcast yeah. and your voice is fine. So good, good. it's a little creaky, I think, but not too bad. I don't think know. it's noticeable at all. Good, good. Uh, maybe good. it's ordinarily husky anyway, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So shall we go into episode two? Yes, let's. Yeah. Episode two opens up at the parliament with the young blonde TV reporter, Simon, TV one reporter, Simon, reporting that, quote, the new European commissioner is being selected as we speak. He sees Katrine and has some snide remarks, such as suggesting she works for a tabloid now, because as we know, she left TV one. She took a job with Logason's paper called Express. Katrine says to Casper that they have a moment when they have a moment alone walking down the hall that, quote, labor might get the post in exchange for one of their ministries. But a few seconds later, Katrine joins Brigitte for coffee and croissants in her office. And she says, quote, that won't happen. So let's spin it like that. The, the blonde male secretary, who's the, the secretary to the queen, right, Amy? That's what we said. I Niles? think so. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's like the High permanent up. secretary. He's a permanent secretary. So he deals with he's always there. He's like, yeah, always there and always working with whatever PM is in. in yes, I think month. he's the queen's representative, I think. He's I kind think of so, like- too. I think so, too. He seems to have a lot of clout about him. Like um, I said before, we're not experts on Danish politics, so you can come at us if you want <laughs> and correct that. You know, that's fine. Hi, exactly. Fine. We're not above correction. We make mistakes. Yeah. We make mistakes. So anyways, Niles comes in and suggests to use the post to exile someone who is not very desirable to keep and make it look like a promotion. But when questioned by Casper, he says, yeah, that would be going too far. But after Niles leaves Brigitte, He's, Brigitte says to Casper, still a lot of Danish politicians have been sent to Brussels never to be heard of again. And funny story, Amy, I actually saw a meme of this on Twitter recently. Oh, this, is, this is a scene where they're standing side by side. They both are holding coffee cups and they yes. say, um, 
a lot of Danish politicians have been sent to Brussels never to be heard of again. And then simultaneously, they take a sip of their coffee. I've seen that as a meme. <laughs> yeah, isn't the, the tagline is in Brussels, nobody can hear you scream. I don't know. I don't know. I think but... that's the tagline. And I think that's the name of the episode as well. Okay. In Brussels, nobody can hear you scream because Brussels is the seat of the EU and the EU commission is basically like the EU government, basically. Mm-hmm. So at Express, they're having a team morning huddle and discussing angles. Katrine brings up this commissioner story and the fact that Brigitte is going to be selecting someone very soon for the position. Logason says that no one cares about that. He's talking about the readers at Express. He says no one cares about that because that is too complicated and unsexy of a story. And in my mind, Amy, that means to suggest that this paper is a bit of a rag and that his audience is a bit lower, have a lower intelligence. Mm. He calls, Hen calls him out and says, complicated, oh, come on, the PM is appointing a commissioner. Lagerson says, the Danes know nothing about it. Katrine says, so let's enlighten them. The commissioner helps legislate in the EU. Let's write about that. Lagerson says that, quote, people only want to hear about salaries and corruptions in the EU. Hen says, Quote, give me a break. The commissioner is Denmark's voice in Europe. Every party wants that post. Lagerson eventually lets them take charge of it and that they will cover the story and bring it forward. Meanwhile, at Parliament, Casper walks in to see Bent and Brigitte having it out with each other. Bent leaves and Casper says that he's noticed that things have changed between Bent and Brigitte over the past year when Brigitte asked Bent to resign. Casper tells her that the media knows this tension and that she should reconsider whether to keep bent on such high posts and that she should think about taking on a protege for the sake of the party. Brigitte says the most relevant protege is also the most logical commissioner candidate and that she selected Jacob Cruz for the post. This clearly comes as a surprise to Casper and she notices that and she tells him she she tells him she does not necessarily talk to her talk to him about all of her decisions. Casper is not a fan of Jacob Cruz and says that he is focused on becoming a commissioner before he turns forty. Brigitte believes that Cruz can make a difference in Brussels. She thinks that he's young and full of initiative. Casper tells her that Cruz is a quote yes man. And she tells Casper that he sounds like Bent and asks him if he's jealous of Cruz's success and firm convictions. And then Brigitte takes a call and starts speaking in French, which I thought was super hot and needed to rewind a few times to enjoy that. (laughs) I rewound it too. I was like, I was, because I was in Paris uh, for my semester break a couple months ago. And I was like using my French, my Canadian cereal box French as much as I could, you know. But it was so she sounded perfect. She sounded perfect. Well, in in uh in Canada, I, I don't know if it's all of the provinces, but here in Ontario where I grew up, Amy, you grew up in BC, we learn French from elementary Yeah, of course we learn French right yeah. up until grade nine and ten of high school. Or yeah. grade nine, I can't remember. So all of us have I took some, it. I took it French, but it's yeah. And I took it all the way to the end of grade 12, actually. Oh, really? All the way through. Yeah. So when I finished high school, I was like reading in French relatively easily. Wow. Um, So it's in there somewhere, but it's a little rusty. But even I could say when I was in, I was like, oh, yes, I speak French, but I'm Canadian and it's a little weak. 
Yeah. And then people would actually continue speaking French to me. Like people actually attempted to speak French to me. So that well, I think that's great. And I think when you go to countries that speak French, you have to turn it on and find your French. That's what I felt when I went to Paris, um, yeah. navigating around, like you just have to find your French that you learned and use it because you have it. You just don't use it because you don't speak French. But as we know, Cici Babbitt Knudsen is fluent in French in real life. And she's actually mm -hmm. done some films in French. Um, right. So I thought that was really cool. And I thought it was super hot and sexy to hear her speaking French, but that's just my aside. Um, Brigitte, <laughs> Brigitte asked Cruz what he thinks about the post of commissioner. He says that he thinks that it should go to a moderate and that it's a unique chance for the party. She asked him, who, who does he think it should go to? And he says, Bent. Casper later tells Brigitte that Bent would be perfect because of his international network and she will get Bent out of her hair. Presumably because they were disagreeing over a lot recently, Bent and Brigitte. Over to Express, where Han and Katrine are leaving the building, and Katrine tells Han that it's her 31st birthday in a few days. Katrine seems unhappy about her birthday and asks Han, what were you doing at that age? And says to Han, I know, you were in Paris, you were a correspondent, and you had a child. I share my students' my student's flat with my espresso machine. Katrine tells Han that her mother is going to tell her that, quote, I'm wasting my life and out to get a family. I'm, I'm waiting, wasting my life without a family. Han tells her to go home to her mother's house for her birthday and not to spend her birthday in a brain dead debate meeting. I love Han's personality, right? She's so like, she's got so much flair and fire in her words, right? She, she says, talks like me, actually. I would say something like <laughs> I think, that. I, I, think that's I wouldn't why... say, yeah, that might be why I like her. And I don't think I would say brain dead. I would have probably said assy, but that's just me. <laughs> Yeah, Han's got so much fire. I love it. She says, she says to Katrine, quote, tell your mom you're coming over and to shut the F up in a nice way. That's the only one thing then worse, worse than having a family is not having one. So Han is basically telling her, look, yes, families are annoying, but we need to put up with them because they're still essential. Um, Brigitte brings Magnus to work because she's taking him to the doctor's appointment that the, later that morning. The secretary sees Magnus. This is Brigitte's secretary, not the, yeah, the new one. The, the new, new secretary. One. Yeah, the replacement for Sam. So yeah. the secretary comes in to see and sees Magnus, but she doesn't acknowledge him or says anything to him or hello to him. She serves him. She serves him a soda. She the wrong not, kind. The wrong kind. She doesn't ask him what he wants. She puts it down the bottle on a table she doesn't even pour it for him in a glass and she says and says that bottles belong on coasters because otherwise they'll stain the table it's an expensive, the expensive table. table yeah yeah and not all of the allowances in the world could pay for that table that's what she says to him and it's just like i'm like obviously casper will not be making out with this secretary no obviously not this is like <laughs> you know like ironclad yeah totally very totally. professional a little too much maybe well, I think it's unprofessional to be so cold and distant when your boss's child comes in. You know, you need to show a bit more. But she doesn't she's have probably, it. That's just her personality. Yeah, she's probably never seen a child before in her life, even when she was one. <laughs> so Ben comes in. Ben comes to the rescue and offers to keep Magnus company. Thank God. 
That's yeah. my side comment. <laughs> poor, poor Magnus. I think he was terrified. That's he was like frozen comment. on the kitchen. Little, little blonde angel baby is frozen on the sofa. I know, like, what on earth is this robot talking to me? Anyway, so Ben comes in to save the day and offers Magnus to keep him company and gets him a Coke to drink. They're having pleasant chats when Mag- with Magnus and connects with him so well, like on a family level. Brigitte yeah. comes back to her office and asks Ben what he's doing there and he said he came to give her a list of names that he drew up for consideration for the commissioner's role. She says, okay, but she has a tight schedule and it's best if he make an appointment. To me, the old Brigitte and Bent relationship would never have been like this, it, but we know things have changed in the past year, which we can chat about uh, after. Bent comes to Brigitte's house later that evening to deliver Donald Duck comments to Magnus to cheer him up, to make him feel better. And he, he talked about this when he saw Magnus in Brigitte's office earlier that day about the Donald Duck comments, because Magnus is not feeling well. So Ben thought, thought these comments, comics would cheer him up. Magnus is excited to have him, have them, the comics. Brigitte offers Ben coffee and invites him to stay for a bit. He politely declines and asks her point blank, quote, why won't you talk to me anymore? Her response, quote, I do want to, but since you're not a minister anymore, we don't see each other that much. Bent, you knew, you know, you knew why I had to fire you. Bent says, yes, but why did that entail that I stopped being your friend? Bent leaves, and shortly afterwards, we see Brigitte calling Casper, telling him that Bent is her choice for the commissioner, and she'll talk to him tomorrow morning so that they can announce it at the press conference. Brigitte believes Bent has a lot of political pull and can get them even bigger things. Bent tells Brigitte he's not interested in the post. He says, quote, this is just to relieve you of your guilty conscience. He tells her that she will be rid of her most severe critic in her party. She says that she's trying to get Denmark a highly competent European commissioner. He accuses Brigitte of trying to buy him out. He also tells her, we've been close. We've stood shoulder to shoulder. If you can't fit me anywhere, fine, but don't try to buy me out. She turns around, don't buy to, don't try to buy me off. She turns around and walks away. Brigitte and Cruz are walking with Casper behind them. And she asks Cruz what he thinks of the job and that she's offering it to him. He says, quote, well, it's very flattering. I feel it's a huge responsibility for my ministry. He wants to talk to Ben because he thinks Ben should be the person for the job. Brigitte thinks that Cruz is bright and he's impressed. She's impressed by his loyalty to his ministry. But when they are alone, Casper tells Brigitte, quote, Cruz is aiming higher. If Bent goes, then he will be second in command. And he's going to let that go to waste by taking a five-year post in Brussels. Brigitte thinks very highly of the post. The, the press conference is going to happen in a few minutes and we see Han and Katrine arrive. Han tells Katrine to find them seats and she excuses herself. Casper offers to take Katrine out for her birthday and implies that he's inviting her mom by saying, tell me how many will be, which was very nice of him. Um, yeah, or somebody else. We don't know who. Maybe he's in, at, trying to find out if Katrine's seeing anyone secretly. Yeah, that's another, that another, that's another option. So the press conference starts and Han comes back chewing gum. Brigitte tells her that she's working on finding the best candidate for the, Brigitte tells the press that she's working on finding the best candidate for the job. She also tells the press with a smile that she does not comment on rumors when the press throws names at her, expecting that her, that she would comment. 
Brigitte calls her, Brigitte calls her to on Han to ask a question. Um, and Han wants to know if Bent is the is the candidate for a candidate for the post for, for the post. The press conference is done. Brigitte is aware that Express, which is where Katrina and Han work, Lagosin's paper, might be, might write Brigitte's hesitancy as a suggestion of an inferior post, meaning to say that this post is an inferior post, right? Niles mm-hmm. comes to the comes into Brigitte's office and says that Pranil is interested in the post. Brigitte says two people turned it down and she is a good bet. Later in the scene between Katrine and Han, Katrine asks Han if something is wrong and she seems a bit she seemed a bit distracted earlier. Han gets defensive and tells Katrine, quote, let me remind you you're speaking to your editor. How I do my job is none of your business. And this, to me, this was completely like out of line, which left Katrine puzzled and speechless as Han walked away. Yeah, there's obviously something else going on there. Yeah. You know. So Brigitte and Bjorn meet for lunch in a quiet restaurant. And Brigitte says, labor always wanted a commissioner post. I'm sure you're aware that it'll cost you. So that was a little side scene there, which I don't, I guess it was to show her, she's communicating with Bjorn about this. Yeah. And also because like, well, if they can't put, yeah, if they don't have a moderate to send to the EU commission, because it's obviously always in your favor to send your Your own own. parties people. And like the moderates had never had an EU commission seat. So to send it, to give it to another party, even though it's one you collaborate with would be to kind of admit defeat. And so they have to give, they have to like exchange something for that benefit because it's also like a lot of money and it's prestigious, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's definitely an exchange in there. At least that's what I got out of it. So Bjorn, Brigitte comes back uh, to the parliament from her meet, from her lunch with, with Bjorn and Bent's wife is outside waiting for Brigitte. They have a pleasant hello, and it is clear that they know each other in real life, i.e. outside of work circles. And Ben's wife wants this conversation to be kept a secret. Ben's wife is there to tell Brigitte not to choose Ben for the commissioner position, and that it, it was a very hard blow to him when Brigitte let him go. He took a very long time to get over that, and now slowly he's turning back into a human being, gardening and being with his grandchildren. Brigitte tells her that Bent has already turned down the offer. And uh, side comment to you, uh, Amy, Brigitte's suit is impeccable in this. Yes, in this I, I noticed it's the, it's the one with the piping, suit, right? Suit with the, yeah, white the white pitching yeah. or piping, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, and I want that jacket. I want that jacket too. And she had yeah. a really nice white shirt inside. Um, so Casper comes home to the girlfriend's place where he recently has moved into and his space is heavy with things on his mind. And she's simple and innocent. And she seems excited that they are cohabitating now. She's making a space for his things in the bathroom and she's invited her friends over for a dinner party. And she asks him if next Thursday is okay. And he says, yes. Han comes over unannounced to Katrine's apartment. Uh, I think she's feeling bad about the previous exchange of words of when Katrine was being concerned about her and Han was abrupt. Katrine makes some coffee and Han confesses that she's been dealing with some personal issues recently and that she said it was her daughter's 25th birthday and the daughter's father's new wife can't stand the sight of Han. Katrine tells Han to screw the wife. Han is going to be there for the daughter's sake. Bent comes into Brigitte's office and says, "Uh, I didn't make an appointment. Brigitte looks at him and does not even say hello and does not even smile at him and says, well, what could I do for you? 
Ben comes in to say that he's going to take the job after all. Ben tells him that Brussels was putting the squeeze on her, and so she's offered it to someone else, Pernille Matson, and who is the Labour Party, Liberal Party, right, Amy? Who is the Liberal Party leader? I think so. Yeah, I, I think so. That's what I have in my notes. Um, and she's not a moderate like Brigitte or Bent. Bent figures out that his wife, Kirsten, was previously there to see Brigitte after Brigitte asks him if he's cleared this decision to take the job with his wife in this discussion that he wants to take the yeah. job, right? And she tells he tells her that the wife wants him to retire and that Brigitte should butt out of his marriage. Bent and Brigitte start shouting and says to her, you've made it perfectly clear that our relationship is purely profess professional. He asks her if the job, he, he asks her if he has a job and she, and he says, yes, no, she, she, she asks she says him. Yes. Yeah. She says yes. And she's leaving as, as he's leaving, he bumps into Casper who says hello. And Ben just nods his head and keeps walking. Ben seems to be heated and needs to cool down. So the next morning now, over at Express, Han comes in looking sharp. She's wearing a khaki-colored suit with a white shirt and a scarf around her neck. She looks happy, and she tells Katrine she's having lunch with the daughter. Lagerson says to them, who, who is cover, asks them, who is covering the upcoming press conference? And they answer, they both are. Lagerson says that he heard about Han's outburst yesterday and says, quote, Drink yourself to death for all I care. Don't embarrass my paper. Are we clear on that? Han stands up and walks away. Katrine tries to come up with a quick, quick response to save Han and says that she was distracted and it was not her fault. She distracted Han yesterday. It was not her fault. Lagerson says to her, nice try. I'm not buying it, but, but points for trying to save your soul, sister. What a jerk. Anyways, Cruz <laughs> comes to visit Brigitte in her office and she offers him the job of deputy minister. Bent comes to her office and they go over what they're going to say to the in the press conference. There's a bit of awkwardness in the air. She's going to say that the, he's accepted the position as a new commissioner and how happy he is and that she admires his dedication and that he's always been her role model and mentor. And the big challenge now is how to manage without him. And there's still some weirdness between them, um, which is noticeable to the audience. And it's noticeable to us because we yes. know their relationship, right? And their friendship. So Casper now goes into the unisex bathroom. Amy, you had talked about this unisex bathrooms in season one of our podcast. Yeah. Um, we, we talked about that in one of our episodes. So he goes into the unisex bathroom and sees Han coming out of the stall, swaying from side to side. She drops a bottle and falls to the ground drunk and cuts herself on the broken glass. Casper springs into action, helps her to get up. And then he goes to the room where Brigitte's press conference is going to take place and finds Katrine and have her come to the rescue as well. She is shocked. Katrina is shocked to see Han like that on the bathroom floor and helps pick her up. And with Han's arm draped around Katrina's shoulder, she walks Han to the elevator and asks the security guard to call a cab for Han. She is sending Han to go home and sleep it off in bed. This is not good because we know both of them are were sent to the press conference to cover it. And now Lagerson is going to be mad at them, right? Because they're not there in the room. Yeah. Katrine finds Casper after the press conference and thanks him for being so discreet with Han. She asks 
who got the commissioner post? And Casper said it was bent. She says that Lagerson will be mad at both her and Han for missing the press conference. And that's when Casper flashes a tape recorder with a smile and says to her that he's taped the interview for her. And she gives him a hug and thanks, which is very nice of Casper and very, yeah. very uh, intuitive. You know, we always talk about how intuitive Casper is and, and how instinctual he is. So this was a good move by him. Tomorrow yep. is Katrine's birthday, and he tells she tells Casper that she's not going to go home to her family's house for her birthday, and he asks her if she wants to do something, and she asks him if his girlfriend would be okay with that. He says, quote, sure, we're adults. I'll book a table for 7 p.m. tomorrow, and that he'll pick her up after work at Express. Bent comes into a room where Brigitte, Casper, Niles, security staff, and others are in. Niles tells Bent that he will be under the spotlight to answer questions as a new commissioner. The interview is going to take place very soon in the next few minutes. Hesselbow, whom we remember from season one, was the PM that yep. Brigitte took over, comes to chat with Brigitte, and she, um, she says she's finally chosen her minister with a smile, and she says, I chose the best. The camera goes over to Bent and, and he is sitting down with papers in his hand and he slowly starts to lean to one side and passes out. Brigitte goes to his side immediately and frantically signals his security guard to call an ambulance. She's then seen walking beside Bent as he's being um, led out in a stretcher by the paramedics. The next scene is Brigitte calling the hospital to find out what room he's in so that she can go and visit him. He's had a cerebral embolism. It's serious and he's going to need surgery, she tells Casper. Casper shows her the latest from Express News, which is now Lagasin's paper, as we know. And the headlines suggest that Brigitte had prior knowledge of this embolism that he suffered and that he suffered one before, which is a false headline because Riggy did not know his medical history. According right. to, according to a source close to the family, this is a quote from the newspaper express, according to the, to the, to, to a close source to the family, Nyborg was aware that Ciro, which is Ben's last name, had suffered a cerebral embolism earlier that year. And yet she still chose him for the stressful post of the European commissioner. Brigitte is on her way to the hospital to see Ben, but first she runs into Cruz, who tells her that he has the party's unanimous vote to take over if need be. Next at Express Media, and where we see Katrine comes out of the office, she finds a present on her desk from Han, which is seated, who is seated near her while she is working. Katrine opens it up, and it is part of the wall. And the Han Berlin says, Wall. Yeah. It, Han says, I broke it off. Two days after the wall fell with a smile, which I, I think was so badass and cool, right? The present yeah. gives Katrine and it's painted in a few different colors. And the card says, the card from Han to Katrine says, quote, congratulations, you have time to do it all. Katrine yeah. goes to hug Han and Han says that her daughter, who has the same birthday as Katrine, stood up, stood Han up and kept her waiting for two hours. And later the daughter texted Han and said that she just couldn't face Han. So this is the, the daughter's text to Han, right? Saying she couldn't face her. The daughter, Camila, grew up with her dad. He got custody after the divorce when she was five. Han says she was away from home during her correspondent days and that she was never home in Denmark. Meanwhile, at the hospital, Ben's doctor tells Brigitte that he's likely to have paralysis on one side. Brigitte runs into Ben's wife, Kirsten, who is not happy to see Brigitte and tells Brigitte that she has no business here at the hospital. The wife accuses Brigitte of knowing that Bent had an embolism and still offered 
him a demanding job. Brigitte tells her the papers are lying and that she didn't say um, why not to offer the job to Ben. This is when Kristen runs into her in, in mm-hmm. the, yeah, earlier on. She yep. didn't say why. Um, she tells the wife that she knew nothing about Ben's illness. And the wife tells her that Jacob Cruz said that he would inform Brigitte about Ben's illness. The wife. Yeah, because she's like, I told Cruz and, and Brigitte was like, what? Yeah. And, and, and the wife is like, Kristen's like, well, she spoke to Cruz a couple of days ago, right before she went to speak to Brigitte and Brigitte tells her that Cruz did not say anything about this. Mm-hmm. So Brigitte tells Niles and Casper that quote, Cruz deliberately betrayed his colleague and me. After that, yeah. Cruz comes to see Brigitte. She's, he sits down on the couch where he signals for him to sit and he has his arm out on the couch, all casual, casual and looking relaxed. He asks how Bent is doing and she ignores him. Brigitte ignores him and says she's told the secretary, Niles, that effective immediately, Cruz is resigning as a deputy leader and that she is considering someone else as a new minister for European affairs. She tells him without flinching in a serious tone that he is taking over the commissioner post and rubs in his face that he was in favor of a moderate commissioner and he's the obvious choice. When he replies with a sob story about how hard he's worked for his family in Denmark, Brigitte simply does not care. She instead confronts him that Ben's wife went to him and told him Brigitte's of, of Ben's embolism and tells him that he kept it confidential and away from her knowledge. And this was to further his own interests. This is to further Obviously. his own interests. So Cruz makes an excuse and tells Brigitte meekly that it's not my fault that he didn't tell you. And she says sharply, stop, I am not finished. And she tells Cruz that he also told Express Media that he she knew about Ben's illness to, to distract her um, so that Cruz, and, and to, to, to sort of like hit, make a hit against her and that Cruz yeah, is obviously. in position as PM, right? Yeah. So getting towards the end of the episode now, uh, over to Casper, he finds an excuse to tell his girlfriend of why he can't stay at the dinner party that she planned, which of course is the same day, the dinner party. And the same time. At the same time <laughs> as Katrine's birthday. And she naively says, okay, and tells him, I've been in a relationship based on mistrust. Never again. Go on. Which is too late. <laughs> so sad. I feel so sad when I heard her yeah. say that. She looks so that's sweet. That's right. right. That's what I mean by she could do so much better. I know. But <laughs> the girl will learn. The girl will learn. Yeah. He goes to pick Katrine up at Express and she tells him that she's invited Han to come along with them. Um, so that she does not need to be alone because Han's daughter stood Han yeah. up. And yeah, so um, Han observes Katrina thanking Casper for the gift he gave her and Cas- and tells Casper when Katrine steps away to go to the restroom that Casper is still in love with Katrine. I can tell, she says. The next- Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. The next scene is nighttime and Brigitte is in her bed working on her laptop when Magnus comes in to tell her that he's had a dream about Bent. And now that Bent is sick, he better pack Bent's comics and give him give them to her so that Bent can feel better to take to Bent. That was like, that was so, so sweet. That was so yeah. sweet. I, I really like Magnus too. Um, he tells Brigitte that he misses Philip and he wants to go to Philip. And she says, but I'm, I'm right here. And he repeats, he wants to go to Philip. 
So the final scene of the episode is Cruz giving a press conference to thank the PM for this new role as European commissioner, and that he's going to be sad to leave his post as Minister of European Affairs. At TV1, Torben and Ulrich are talking on camera, and they say that the rumor is that Bent was in line for the vice presidency. Rigit goes to visit Bent in the hospital, and she passes his wife when she's leaving Bent's room. And they are friendly towards each other. So it's nice to see that they've made yeah, up, Yeah, that right? kind of gets repaired. Yeah, yeah, it gets repaired. And Brigitte is alone with Bent now. Um, and Bent is laying down in the hospital bed. He's got his wide, eyes wide open. And she tells him that she's sorry about all of this. And she takes his hand and holds it. And she says to him, quote, do you think that we can go back to being friends? And he's, he's laying down and he looks up still looking up at his ceiling and he squeezes her hand an acknowledgement of the question with the response. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I was very like going backwards to talk now, like the last scene being Brent and Brigitte. I'm very happy to see that their friendship is repaired because it's just, it just, it, it bothered me. I mean, I know I take me too. Like they're my real life friends, but it bothered me to see two people who were so close drift so far apart and the awkwardness and frostiness that Brigitte had to bend. I don't know where that came from, actually. Do you? Um, Pressure, you know, the like the whole and the whole thing of like, remember at the beginning, the very beginning, you said you can't have friends in the castle. Mm -hmm. And you have to make decisions that you need to make. Yeah. And so like, you know, when that happened, you know, they, they, even though she had to fire him as, as finance minister and whatever, and, and it's clear he still had a role in the party, but that, that obviously damaged their relationship. And like, it, it, it obviously was a little bit personal and he took it personally, but to have him hide, you know, his health stuff from her. And it's just really sad. Like the whole kind of thing fell apart. And of all the people <clears throat> she, you know, he was her mentor and her closest advisor, and he should never have to make an appointment. If yeah. he shows up, he's got some, he's there for a reason. Like, yeah, he's got some advice or some help or something to talk to her about that's important, and she should take it seriously. Yeah, I think. And if I, I wish I had a mentor like that in any of my jobs. You know, like it would be so, it would be so good to have an advisor to help you. Yeah, who knows the ropes of whatever? I mean, obviously it's different. I mean, you know. To, to work in politics is different than anything else. Yeah. But to have someone on your side like that and like who knows so much and all of that things like, like, and we know, we know how experienced Bent is because even when Magnus is sitting there with the wrong kind of soda in front of him, which he obviously doesn't like, he takes a sip. I think it's like a lemon soda and he like makes a face. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and when Bent hears the ironclad new secretary say, don't leave a stain on the table. Yeah. He goes, oh, well, former prime minister so-and-so made a stain on this table. So I think it's okay. If, <laughs> yeah. You know, so it was, it was kind of nice to hear him like take Magnus's side and like let her know that he has more clout. Yeah. And it's so, his experience is so valuable. And for Brie to kind of push him aside was just really sad. And it's just sad for the friendship. And it was so horrifying. Like, I remember watching this for the first time and being horrified that he might die. And, uh, yeah. like, you know, because you never know, they do kill off main characters sometimes in, 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 in TV shows. And, like, and it was just like, you know, tell your friends how much you care about them because you don't know what's going to happen to them the next day. 
Yeah. And like the previous episode and this episode and the whole COVID pandemic and the fact that I got sick this way was like all of that stuff has been kind of weighing on my mind. Mm -hmm. So this was particularly emotional reviewing of this episode. And you handled both of these today. Like normally we share episodes, but I was too busy and too sick to be able to do it. So yeah, you handled them both in this, in this show, which is fine. And I'll take on the next two, I think. And, uh, but yeah, it was just so emotional for me. Like I was like crying when I watched this episode. Like, yeah. It was like really hard for me to, I don't know why some people say that the, the, you know, mental strain is the side effect of the COVID, <laughs> but I think, I think it's just me. And the fact well, that like to watch a friendship like that, just go down so badly. It was just so sad. Yeah. You know? And I think though, we just, we're now only in season two. Um, we met them in season one the way the way their characters are shaped we understand very well that they were friends for a long time yeah even before yeah. we met them they were friends so to me it yeah. would have been really sad first of all i felt very sad that they were drifting apart and i i agree with you i do think it's stress and we talked about this in the first season, how you don't know how situations are going to play out unless you live in them, right? So yes. in theory, it's excellent. Oh, my partner wants to be the PM. Great. We're going to be this. She's going to be this. She's going to do that. But then when you actually live through that and you see the wear and tear of your relationship during this time, these are things that you can't for forecast, right? Yeah. And just like when you're two close friends that end up working together and a decision has to be made for, for one to let the other one go. It, it changes, it, it, it's it sort of, um, it changes, it changes the dynamic without absolutely changing it. The situations just change. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I was a little disappointed that the wife of Bent, Kirsten, did not go straight to Brigitte and talk to Brigitte. Like, why talk to Cruz about about uh, Bent's illness, right? Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, she, I, I guess she thought <coughs> Cruz would manage it up, right? And like, yeah, or that, that or Brigitte's maybe, attention. yeah, or maybe she thought everybody knew, you know, like maybe she didn't know that Bent didn't tell people. You know what I mean? Like, there we don't know exactly what happened there, but I assumed she told Cruz because she figured Brigitte knew or that he would tell her, or he said that he would tell her. Right. Yeah. Isn't, isn't, isn't that what, um, Kristen, the, the, the wife's name is Kirsten, Kristen, I think. Yeah. And I think she says, didn't, didn't Cruz tell you, I mm -hmm. think at one point. Yeah. And, and Brigitte is like, no, he didn't tell me anything. Yeah. So it's obvious that he withheld that information for strategic purposes. And that makes yeah. him a pretty serious low life in my opinion. Absolutely. Like, not only because he's hiding information. I mean, and hiding any information would be kind of a serious offense yeah. as far as like, in terms of like ethics are concerned, but to hide information about somebody's health that could harm them. If yeah. it's not made, you know, if you, you can't just hide information like that, like it should have been mentioned. It was irresponsible, like morally irresponsible for him to hide that information from Brigitte and it's health information that obviously affected Ben immediately but to be, afterwards. To be fair, to play the devil's advocate a bit, it it's first unfair of Bent to hide it. Yeah. 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 I mean, Bent, but I think maybe it's, it's the situation of getting older, you know, retirement may not be that far away. You want to feel as though you're still Useful. younger in the game. 
And you, you know, politics is your whole life and you, you can get this opportunity to have this great job and denying his health issues that could, you know, really, uh, you know, cripple him in this role. But it, 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 you see, it has such a big effect because it's not just him getting sick. It would be the fallout of the, of the role. Like they'd have to find someone else. Like this is not, to me, this is not a role that, you know, I'm a gas station attendant. And if I yeah, yeah, absolutely. get sick for six months, they could just find someone else to pump gas. Like this is something very, very big and serious. So um, yeah, I think it was Ben's fault. Ben should have said it, but again, it's, it's, I think it's weighing, you know, he doesn't want to be singled out and he doesn't want to yeah. be not a contender for the job or to, to be able to take the job. So yeah. um, going now to the towards the end of the episode when we see Magnus and that scene when um, he's gone to Brigitte's room and you know she's he's going to say he says to her we should bring the comics for Bent and he says that he misses Philip. What what did you think about that? I thought it was really sad and it just like obviously like seeing Bent made him remember his dad. It's almost like Bent is like an uncle figure. Yeah. And the whole, like, we should take him the comics because he's sick was just like, it was so sad. It was like so touching and like that childlike innocence, it, it yeah. explains and exemplifies the relationship. It's like, we should be taking care of this person who's like family to us. Yeah. You know, and it kind of was like a way, like a little way for Brigitte to understand the seriousness, I think, of her loss there and the loss of the friendship and the damage to the friendship. I think and also... Yeah. But Magnus still needs his dad, even though she's there all the time. He still needs his dad. And she didn't fight him. I thought it was also nice that when she said, "I, you know, it's like quite late. And he's like, I want to go to dad's. And she says, but I'm here. And he's like, yeah, but I want to go to dad's. She just says, okay. And she like makes yeah. sure that that happens. So it's they're putting the, as far as their divorce goes, and as far as Magnus is concerned, at least from what we've seen so far, they're putting the kids ahead like uh, prioritizing the kids well-being so yeah and they're not they're not using the children so no against you know yeah he's she's not putting Magnus up against against philip she's not bad talking philip to to magnus which is which is great and i also like this scene a lot because it's very i i think the innocence of a child is very sobering to people that as adults, we get caught up in emotions and conflicts and politics in friendships yep. and all that sort of stuff. But to have Drama. a kid kind of just, what's that? Drama. Drama, yes. Drama. But yes. to have a kid come in and just like sort of flatline that all in one comment to say, you know, I'm, we should bring the comics for Bent because he's sick in the hospital. You know, Magnus doesn't know about political you know, uh, yeah, he doesn't care about that stuff care about that. He knows what's important, which is I want my friend, Uncle Ben to feel better. Yeah, and yeah, it was so cute. Take, take the comics for him. I thought it was I thought it was uh, cute, too. But um, yeah, and very touching. Like it, that got me. I was like, oh, my God, you know, I thought it was it touching. Me. And I, I feel the strain of Brigitte again, like, you know, having to be the mom of these kids and run the home and even though she doesn't, maybe she doesn't agree or like Philip very much now, she's, as I said, I really, as you said, I really respect the fact that she's not cutting Philip down. Yeah. And also like, in a way it's like, yeah, no wonder she didn't remember to sign the divorce papers. I think she, 
um, you know, just to refer back to the previous episode, partly she didn't do it because she doesn't want to. And it's like, if she doesn't do it, maybe it won't happen. And right. partly it is, it is like, look, I understand that this has to be dealt with, but like, I got bigger issues going on here. And I know that's, that's the whole reason why they're getting divorced anyway, because Philip didn't want to play backseat to the nation. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, sorry, nation of how many million or one guy? Uh, yeah. You know, and like, it's pretty difficult to be PM. And I still think that a male prime minister would not have to consider his wife's feelings as much and that a lot of wives put up with that yeah in power even when their husbands do ridiculous and stupid things hillary clinton <laughs> no but it's it, i mean just to just to hinge on what you said there yeah and, and it's not just oh my partner is in a high job it's it's in straight couples it's men and women who are the men are in lower jobs they're not the pm but still a lot of women it's make still expected. Yeah, they yeah. make concessions to these men, right? Yeah, yeah. And which is, you know, lame. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't speak to other people's relationships. And clearly, like, like I said, I, you know, I've been home with the Rona with uh with who? Two two cats. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not in a relationship at the moment, but like <laughs> I don't think I think in a decent relationship, you know, you have to share things equally. Yeah. And nobody's more, more equally than another. Nothing, nothing yeah. was over 50%, but more equally and make more an, an, an effort, you know? Yeah. And I don't think the monetary value of somebody's income or their, or the prestigiousness or position of their work should determine the course of a relationship. No. I think those are extraneous factors and money benefits relationships because obviously money makes life easier. We all know that mm -hmm. up to a certain point. And then, you know, but like, just because you have the higher income doesn't make you more important in a relationship. What does that yeah, have to do? Or with more that? superior. Yeah. Yeah. What does that have to do with anything? It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I agree. End. So is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? I'm so excited that Katrine and Hannah are working together and I'm really looking forward to more storylines. And I'm, um, I would watch a whole series about Hannah Holm. So would I. <laughs> I would watch. I, I think she's like she's so great, and even like you know, reading comments on on Twitter, what people have to say, and comments and YouTube videos and stuff like that. People also really like Han, um, and yeah, this is my my opportunity to give a very special shout out to all the new friends and fellow fans of Borgen and Sitsi Babit Knutsen that we've connected with on Twitter. Um, a hello to at r underscore m underscore Fernandez, who has the website cafethinking.com where he blogs about Borgen and mm -hmm. um, which I've read and have to help me make episodes for this show. I've read that commentary just to get like a second opinion on things and like get another perspective um, other than mine. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I just think like, I think, you know, that's a really excellent blog on this show and it's worth checking out. So check yeah, it so out. So cafethinking.com. Dot com. Yeah. And hello to at Anthony Cantor CA, who is a local Torontonian, just like I am. Hey. Hey, thanks for listening. <laughs> All right, Amy, I'm going to take us out of this episode then. Uh, we'd like to All thank right. our listeners for joining us on this episode. You can check us out on our website, The Borgen Podcast, where all of our podcast episodes are archived, and you can learn more about us and about the show. 
We'd like to thank our good friend Garth Jensen for providing us our intro and outro music. Thank you very much, Garth. And lastly, don't forget to check us out on all social media platforms. We are there and we'd love to hear from you. You can connect with us and share what's on your mind by using the hashtag the Borgen Podcast, or by sending us an email or voice memo at theborgenpodcast at gmail.com.